Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Well, you can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Today's the third part in our series, Words with Friends. We're looking at the power of the tongue and how the words we speak are so powerful. They have the power to do good. They have power to do bad. They can be helpful. They can be hurtful. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble with your words, and you can get yourself out of trouble with words. You can lead someone to Christ with your words. You can condemn someone with your words. Words can be used to build people up. Words can be used to tear people down. Words are powerful. Certain statements that we hear, certain statements that we read, linger. Sometimes we hear things that are very negative. Maybe a parent or teacher or a friend have said to us, you'll never, or you'll, you always, or you can't, and you can fill in the blank. And those words have stuck with us. They, they sting. They, they've hurt us. But we've also had words that have been very beautiful, very affirming and touching, uh, and we've treasured those words. Maybe you've got a plaque or a poster in your office or in your bedroom or something that you just, you'd like to refer to every now and then because it encourages you. Uh, how many of us have a letter or a note or a card that someone wrote to us and we refuse to throw it away because that letter, that card, that note encourages us so much. How many of you have a letter like that? Tucked in a drawer in a Bible, tucked away somewhere. I have a whole file full of letters like that. Words are powerful and words can impact us. And last week, Pastor Matt talked about criticism and how oftentimes criticism can be very brutal and negative and hurtful. And criticism is made a lot easier when we practice what we're going to talk about today, encouragement. Encouragement is something that builds us up. And unfortunately, some of us aren't very good at it. I'm not real good at it. Uh, I take people for granted. People do their jobs and do their normal things and show their faithfulness. And so often I just take it for granted. It's like, well, I, surely they know I'm happy and, and they know I'm pleased, but I fail to use the words to communicate it. And it's so important that we encourage people with words. That's what we're going to talk about today, how to lift people up. Because just like our body needs food, our bodies need water. Our souls need encouragement. And every time we encourage someone, it's kind of like taking a, your water pitcher and you're sprinkling water on parched ground and the soul begins to soak it up. All of us need to be encouraged. And so we're going to read a scripture, just one verse from Ephesians 4. We're going to look at a lot of other verses, but this is really the, the verse that's going to launch us today. And before we read it, I actually want to pray that God would speak to us through this because many of you are like me, need to learn to encourage more. And so, Father, we pray right now that you would speak to us through your scriptures, Lord, that you would use our tongues for good and for beautiful things. Help us to realize how powerful the words are that can roll off our tongue, power for good, power to change a life, power to build up and not destroy. So use our mouths, Father, and use this time as we dedicate ourselves to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let's go back in. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Does that describe you? That the only thing that comes out of your mouth are words that meet the needs of other people, that it may benefit those who listen, that when those hear you speak, they go, man, I'm so glad I listened to you. 
That's the kind of voice that God wants us to have. Voices that build others up, that encourage. And here's what encouragement does. I want to give you five things that encouragement does. Ways encouragement builds people up. First of all, it recognizes growth. It recognizes growth because what is recognized is, is what gets repeated. What is recognized is what gets repeated. We learn that when kids are very little. That when they do something good, you recognize it with the hope that they're going to do it again. So um, little baby eats the, eats the vegetables. And you go, way to go. Way to eat your veggies. Because you want them to keep doing it again and again. Get to be a little bit older. And when, when they, they, they poop in the potty, you know, you're, 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 you're cheering for them. Way to go. You get all excited. You know, we don't get excited with adults, but with kids, when they're just learning to do it. Man, if you have to get excited about your teenager, that's bad. But, but the little one, man, I hear people just excited, you know, giving rewards and all kinds of things because they, you know, they, they, they dropped it right in the zone. You know, they got it there, and you're so excited. And then when they learn to walk, and, and they go to school, and they get stickers on their um, chart, and they get treats when they memorize their verses, and, you know, there are rewards because what is recognized gets repeated. Uh, we get older, and to be honest, we all like that too. Some of you work at a job where maybe you get perks, little rewards. My daughter works for Mary Kay. They have different pieces of jewelry you get for different accomplishments. And if you really do well in certain areas, you might get a pink Cadillac, you know? So people like that. I've watched over the last several years, many people in our church go on different kinds of diets, different kinds of health plans. And I've seen people shed 30, 50, 80, I think even 100 pounds. I mean, think about that. Someone loses 100 pounds. You just lost a third grader, you know, a fourth grader. I don't know. Wow. And you hope somebody notices, right? Don't you hope, like, hey, the, the clothes, you look, you're looking pretty good now, looking pretty Because tri- it affirms it, and you want to work harder at it because someone recognizes the growth. Encouragement does that. It helps you want to persevere, to continue moving toward it. Our son worked on a project recently, and... And I wrote a note just saying, well, Mom and Dad are so proud of you, what you did, how you accomplished this. It was great that you, that you pressed on and you completed it because we want people to continue to do things well. I, I, I'm amazed at Paul's letters, how encouraging. Because I picture Paul as this driven man, but when he writes his letters, some of his letters are so encouraging, like this one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the fact that while Paul's affirming them, he's actually being very specific. He's just not saying, ah, you're awesome. No, he says, you're great. You're doing so well because of you know, your work and, it's, and what's it producing in you and your labor and your endurance. And he's being very specific and identifying. It's so affirming. And when you can recognize specific things, you say, he said, I, I, I love how you do this. Or honey, you know, you, you do such a great job in taking care of the kids when I'm at work. And, and honey, you know, you, you, you're such a good manager of our home. I don't know if I tell you that enough. You're being very specific. It's very encouraging. And Paul goes on a few verses later. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Way to go. Keep growing. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Paul's encouraging them because he's recognizing the spiritual growth. Encouragement also 
instills courage. That seems almost redundant because encourage sounds like we're putting courage into somebody. But the word actually comes from a Greek word, parakaleo, which means to come along beside. To come along beside. The word for the Holy Spirit in the book of John is paraclete. Very same root word because the Holy Spirit comes along beside us. When you come along beside someone, you encourage them. It's like a cheerleader on the sideline. It's like a parent in the bleachers when their kid's playing sports. You're on the, I've heard a lot of you kind of parents at kids' games. You know, your, your little um, preschooler out there playing soccer or little boy playing t-ball or, or you got a girl in volleyball or someone in football or track and you're on the sideline and you're cheering for your kid. You're screaming words of encouragement. Go get them. Tackle them. Spike it. You know, you're just yelling out there, that's my boy, that's my girl. Because you, you're basically saying, I'm there with you, you're not alone. Keep going. You're giving courage to them to press on. Encouragement gives courage. In the Old Testament, uh, there were two men who traveled with the Israelites the whole 40 years they were in the wilderness wandering. And it was Moses and Joshua. Actually, Moses didn't go the whole way, Joshua and Caleb did. But Moses ends up, Striking a rock in anger, and God tells him, you're not going to enter the promised land, but your sidekick, Joshua, is going to lead the people in, but you need to help prepare him. So in Deuteronomy, God instructs Moses, chapter 3, verse 28, with these words, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Joshua's got a tough road ahead. There's going to be battles he has to win. There's going to be enemies he'll face. It'll be difficult. But you need to strengthen him and encourage him. That's what Moses did. I received a letter this week from a couple in the church. Came after last Sunday's message. Um, Actually, it was a couple weeks ago, actually, after I preached. And the letter said, thank you for the past month of messages on some of the difficult subjects we talked about. Thank you for being willing to preach on those subjects because many people don't like to talk about those things. I, and we appreciate the fact that at, at this church we teach what the Bible says. And it was a very encouraging letter reminding me to keep preaching the truth, keep bringing the word of God that people are hungry for it. And that encouraged me to want to speak boldly again on, on similar subjects because their words encouraged me. I had a coach in Little League named Mr. Green. And though my dad wasn't real affirming, Mr. Green would come along and he made me the leadoff hitter on our team. He says, you're the best hitter in the league. I don't know if I was the best hitter, but he believed I was and it made me want to play better. When I was in junior high, I was a real self-conscious kid. I was afraid of being embarrassed and making a fool of myself. And so it was really difficult when my coach says, you're going to be point guard on the basketball team. I don't want to be point guard. Point guard's the guy in charge. Guy in charge can make mistakes. He says, no, you're going to be point guard. I, I kind of feel like that with being a senior pastor. God says, oh, you're going to be the leader now. Well, I'd rather kind of be behind the scenes. You don't get attacked that well, that, that much. You can kind of hide behind, behind the walls. But, you know, God gives us courage through other people to step up and fulfill the calling he has for us. Another thing encouragement does is it affirms potential. Sometimes we choose a name for a child because we want our child to grow up to be that kind of a person. But sometimes people get renamed, and we see that a lot in the Bible. There was a man named Joseph, and you can read about him in Acts 4. In that chapter, there's a story about this guy named Joseph who sells a piece of property, 
He brings the money to the church, to the apostles. He lays it at their feet and basically says, you guys can distribute it however you see needed. It's yours. It's God's. And they rename him. They say, you're not going to be Joseph anymore. We're going to call you Barnabas. Because Barnabas means son of encouragement. A lot of us have been called sons of something before, but not son of encouragement. (laughs) But what a beautiful name. You are so encouraging by what you do. They're going to call you Barnabas. Now today, nobody wants to be called Barnabas because that purple dinosaur kind of ruined it. You know, you're going to be called Barney. So nobody wants that. But I love the fact that he was renamed because of what they saw in him. Jesus called his disciples, and there's a guy named Andrew that comes to follow Jesus. He brings his brother, Simon. And in the first chapter of John, Jesus meets this guy. He says, he looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Okay, big deal. What's Peter? Well, Peter comes from the Greek word petros, meaning rock. So when we get to Matthew chapter 16, later on, you know, two or three years later in Jesus' ministry, Jesus says to him, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, if you know Peter, Peter's the guy that denied Jesus three times. That's not a rock. And yet Jesus says, no, Peter, that's not who you really are. You are a rock. In fact, I'm going to use you as, as part of the foundation to build my church. So in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, when there's thousands of people gathered, guess who gets to stand up and deliver the sermon to that crowd? It's Peter. It's Peter. Because Jesus saw in Peter qualities that nobody else saw. In the Old Testament, there's a practice of the blessing where fathers would bless their sons in particular. I imagine they probably blessed their daughters too, but in particular the sons because they would carry kind of the mantle in the family. And so there are many famous blessings in the Old Testament. Probably the most um, known blessing was the one of Isaac. Isaac had two sons that um, were twins, Isaac, excuse me, Jacob and Esau, and there was a tussle over who would get the, the birthright, who would get the blessing. So Jacob disguised himself as his brother. His brother was very hairy, so he put on animal fur and came before his father Isaac, who was going blind, and he thought he was blessing Esau, but he actually gave the blessing to Jacob. It was, it was a powerful blessing with spiritual ramifications. In Genesis 27, here's what he says to Jacob. It says, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. I I love that in Scripture, whether it's Jesus or it was the patriarchal father, sometimes the apostles, other people, saw potential in others and called it out. And how beautiful it would be for us, particularly us as parents, that when you tuck your child to bed, that you would kneel beside their bed, maybe place a hand on their heart or, or cuff their face or, or, or maybe the hand upon the head and say a prayer of blessing and say, you are precious, you are treasured. God has great plans for you. God has made you strong. God has made you a, a young man of character. God has made you a daughter of, of deep 
beauty. You know, what if we spoke beautiful, positive words that our kids say, that's what daddy thinks of me? That's what mom thinks of me? That's who, that's who they think of me? I want to be that. It, it, it stirs something within you to want to rise to that. I remember a teacher in my old church. She, was a, she taught first graders. She raised three boys. They, they are all great young men. And so when she was teaching these first grade kids, they would walk in, and especially the boys, she'd look in the eye, and she would just affirm them. She would see some little boy, you know, carrying in a little Bible, and she'd say, I'm so glad you're here at church today. You come so faithfully. You're here every week. And look, you brought your Bible. God's so pleased with that. I'll bet you have your memory verse memorized today, don't you? And that starts nodding his head. Because she's expecting him to rise up to be someone. She's not looking at him as, oh, here are the troublemakers again because you'll fulfill that. But she called out the good. We as parents, sometimes even as grandparents, as teachers, need to call out. You know, Nathan, you went and got your mom a coffee. And, you know, this little guy sings on the praise team. And he comes and sits with his mom in church. And sometimes on Sundays you get to see me flip him upside down in the lobby there. Um, he's a cool kid. And uh, God's going to use you in great ways, young man, because you love the Lord. And see, God, God wants us to look at people and see the potential that he sees within them. Encouragement builds, or encouragement inspires perseverance. Paul planted many churches. And months and years later, he would have to go back and visit these churches. Or he would send an associate to visit the church to encouraged them because they were suffering persecution. Maybe some false teachers had come in. Maybe they were in a period of trials and difficulties. Um, But they needed to remind the churches to keep growing, keep pressing on, don't give up. Barnabas, remember that son of encouragement? He was sent to a church in Antioch because they needed encouragement. And in uh, the book of Acts, it says this about Barnabas. It says, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Sometimes we need a word from someone that encourages us to hold on, don't give up, don't quit. Because when you get discouraged, the natural response is to give up, to to quit. It might be that college education that you're pressing toward, that degree that just never seems to come. It seems like forever to get there. And someone keeps urging you, saying, you know what? You're halfway there. You put in so much. You're almost to the finish line. Keep going, and you press on. Or that job that's difficult, and you come back almost every night. I want to quit. I'm tired of that company. I'm tired of that boss. I want to give up. And someone encourages you to hang in there, that you're an influence on them. Maybe you're in a relationship. Maybe you're in a marriage where someone has said, you know what, it's time just to give up in that relationship. And then someone comes along and says, you know what, those difficulties are, are, are actually the ground in which God builds a stronger foundation. God uses those challenges and trials to bring out and unearth the things that need to be um, addressed within a relationship. And then actually the relationship will be stronger when we get to the other side. That all this kind of garbage becomes fertilizer for the richness of the future growth. And so don't give up. You've invested too much at this point. And we need someone to come along, someone at just the right time to remind us to hang in there, to not give up. Proverbs 1020 says the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. I love that picture there. You, you need someone in your life who, among all the words that they say, says some words that at just the right time, said in the right way, 
the right place. It's like choice silver. It's like, wow, those words are powerful. I'm going to hold on to those words because those words are redirecting my life. They're calling me not to give up. And then I want to say one other thing, that encouragement builds up others by grounding them in the truth. Because there's a part of encouragement that actually is excessive and false and deceitful. It's called flattery. And flattery can appear to be something that, that sounds good when, when people are over the top with their praise. But God wants us to be truthful in it. Now, I know some of you may react to this, but we tell someone like, oh, you're, 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 you're without doubt the most beautiful person in the world. Or you're the best at this or that. And to be honest, we know in our hearts they're not. But we think it's okay to say it to them. Now, I, I think it's okay to say, you know, in your daddy's eyes, you're the most beautiful girl in the whole world. You know, when I look at everyone, I think you're the best. You know, that's okay, because you're giving your perspective. But when people get set up like, like you're the most beautiful, and then they get last place in the beauty contest, you go, what if, hey, you told me I was the most beautiful, and no one else thinks I am. Well, I just wanted you to feel good. A lot of times, flattery is for our sake. It's to make me feel good, not to make the recipient feel good. It, it really sets someone up rather than builds someone up. And it's so important that we're truthful. Paul wrote to a young pastor named Titus, Titus 1.9. He says, the, the servant of God or the minister must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. In other words, he, he needs to encourage people by the truth of Scripture. Because we are so influenced by opinions and not all every opinion is good. Our granddaughter has, has had the habit, she's only seven years old, and when her daddy puts a picture of her on Facebook, do you know what she asks now? He goes, Daddy, how many people liked it? How many people liked Some of you know what I'm talking about because you, you've been there. You go back and check to see. I put a picture of myself. You know, I, kind of a, I had a nice picture. I did a selfie. I want to know how many people like it. Five people? Come on. You know, I went to all that work, put all that makeup on. I got five likes. Come on. We depend too much on the opinions of others. And to be honest, social media, for the most part, is very shallow in its encouragement. It's far better to have people that you trust speak truthfully into your life. And you know, I don't think I've ever heard any words that were more powerful in my life than the words of Scripture. A verse of Scripture at just the right time in the right place has, has redirected my life many times. And I would urge you, get to know the Bible. Memorize verses that speak into your life in a powerful way so you can be encouraged. When I hear the verse, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've used that many, many times. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They shall rise up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Those encourage me. So I want to just show you some scriptures and read them to you and just for you to see, for those of you who aren't in the Bible, think, oh, the Bible isn't really relevant, how relevant it really is. Listen to these. Oh, they're over there. The glass service, it was in the middle screen. So now I've got to go over here. Okay, here we go. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God is love. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And scripture is powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful to have those verses just soak into your spirit. It's like, again, water being poured on the soul and, and it just lifts us up. That's why I think in the Old Testament, God said, um, write these scriptures on your foreheads, on the door frames of your house. I think what God was saying was, let them be a constant reminder. Let them be such a part of your life that you never forget because this, the scriptures give us encouragement. We encourage others and build them up when we recognize their growth, instill courage, affirm their potential, inspire perseverance, and ground them in the truth. When you do that, it's so much easier then to, to bring maybe something that's critical into someone's life because you've invested so much in the encouragement of it that people know that you're, you're out for their good. So how do we go about encouraging people? How do you actually do it? Well, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And in that book, really, I think is, is the key, learning to speak the right love language. Now, obviously, when you talk about languages, it makes sense that the first of these is called words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. In the book of um, Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 18, it says, therefore, encourage one another with these, what? Words. Words and courage. And so we've got to speak it. My wife and I were talking the other night, and, and I have trouble sometimes showing, uh, vocalizing that I'm appreciative, that I notice things, and I have to learn to speak it. I feel it. I think it. I'm just not always good at saying it. And I've got to learn to do it better. So I put on my day timer. You know, it shows up every day. Encourage. Because I've got to take an effort to do that. And you know what, you know what the, the issue is? I think with many of us, if you're like me, the reason we don't often encourage is because we're selfish. We're thinking of ourselves. Because that very first verse from Ephesians 4 we read says to only speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And if you're not attentive to other people's needs, then you're not going to be able to encourage them. So you've got to listen. You've got to pay attention. And you've got to speak the words. The second one is spending quality time. I think all these other ones really are, are, are an accompaniment to the first one because when you spend quality time, you have a lot of time then to speak words with them. A lot of time you'll spend in conversation. Paul uh, was encouraged by some people once they came to visit him. Acts twenty-eight fifteen says that the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Apias and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Why? Because they were coming. 
When I hear people are coming to Colorado Springs and they say, hey, we want to stop by and spend a couple days with you, I'm encouraged. They want to spend time with us. They're coming to our house. That's encouraging. What do we do when they come to our house? Well, whether they're at our house or we go off and do some sightseeing, we're talking, catching up on old times, sharing about our kids, a lot of conversation. Because it happens when you spend time together. Last Thursday, I spent some time with a brother here in church. We went out for coffee together, and when I got home, he sent me a text, just said, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to invest in me. I really appreciate it. People appreciate time. It's part of the love language. Another one is gifts, the giving of gifts. They're a tangible expression. When someone gives you a gift, it's making a statement. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul recognized the gift that was given him by the Philippian church. He said, I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Gifts make a statement. Yesterday, a a man drove out to our house, and he brought a gift. And this man, for the last 10 years of his life, has been in the jail system. He was at Comcor, then he went down to Canyon City, then he's been in another location for the last several years. And we've been in communication with letters. Pretty much the sole uh, communication was through letters back and forth. And he got out this summer. He's got a place, he's working, hopefully he'll be at church here in a couple weeks. But he wanted to drive out to our house yesterday and drop a gift off. It was a birthday gift because he wanted to kind of express his appreciation and his love. It was a tangible way for him to speak something. Gifts do that. So do acts of service. Acts of service, doing something kind for someone else. It's not just stated, it's demonstrated. So a lot of us will say things like, hey, if you need something, just give me a call. Or if you would have called me, I would have come over to help. And to be honest, most of the time, that's a lie. You really don't want to go help. Because I'll tell you, if you're a true friend, you will show up before they even ask. Isn't that what they do? If you're a lady and you're, you're you know, in, maybe you've got a, a surgery or you just had a baby, your best friend will show up at the house with a meal. Just walk in the door, basically. Give a meal. They may even say, you know what? Where's your vacuum cleaner? I'm going to clean your house for you. They don't even ask permission. And the rest of us will say, hey, if you need something, holler. And then they never do. They'll go, well, they must not have had any needs. Well, yeah, but they know you didn't mean it. So you've got to, if, if you really care, you just show it. Showing it backs up the word. So that's why sometimes words don't mean a whole lot until they're backed up by the action. And so scripture tells us in many places we need to back up our lip service with our actual service. And then there's this, other tangible way of physical touch. That physical touch can be very powerful. Uh, an arm around the shoulder, a hug, kiss on the cheek, pat on the back can say a lot, when it, especially when it accompanies the kind words. Now, in our culture, I know we're very um, guarded about physical touch because many people have used it for violence. Right now, a big thing about um, abuse, real big in the news. People don't know how to touch appropriately or violation of innocence. People cross the lines um, but in our culture, we, we tend to just to shake hands. And shaking hands is a, is a pretty good way. But you know what? Sometimes you need an arm around the shoulder. Someone just to put their arm around you and say, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Or you need a pat on the back. Say, way to go. High five. Sometimes you 
even give someone a kiss, appropriate kiss. In the Bible, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So that's why many cultures, people greet that way and they'll, they'll kiss one another on the cheek as a sign of affection. That, 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 that physical touch can be a powerful way to communicate. So I want you to think through in your life, and in your bulletin, there's a, there's some note, there's a little box there at the bottom of the notes to write down three people. Someone that needs encouragement. Someone that you know around you that you haven't encouraged for a while. It might be your spouse. might be your kids. might be your parent. might be a classmate. might be an old friend. might be your boss. might be an employee. could be the person that you meet at the bank or the grocery store that you run into quite often. It could be your Sunday school teacher. It could be someone that serves you in the church that you've really never said, you know, thank you for, um, for singing on the worship team. Or thank you for taking care of the babies in the nursery. Thank you for cleaning up around the campus, making my coffee. You know, our coffee bar is, is staffed by all volunteers. But I don't know if anyone's ever really told them how much they appreciate what they do. And instead of them getting paid, the money that's paid for coffee goes to help kids so they can go to camp. We need to tell people, thank you. You do an awesome job. Thank you for, for doing it. And you do it with such a smile. It's beautiful the way you serve. You know what they, they want to do? They want to come back and do it again next week when you say that. So identify some people that need to be encouraged and then take the effort to encourage them through words of affirmation, through maybe meeting them personally and saying it, maybe writing a note, sending a card. You know, texts are good, but I don't, and, and emails are good, but you know what's really good is when you, when you write a note and you sign it and someone can tuck it away or hold on to it, read it again and again, and I just want to urge you, if you ever give a greeting card, you know, we're willing to pay Hallmark five bucks because they say it right, but don't just sign it. Put your own words in it too because it's powerful. Words are powerful. God gave us this thing called the tongue. You have no clue how powerful the right words said at the right time can be. Years ago, I read the story, true story of a lady named Mary Ann Bird. When she was born, she had all kinds of physical disabilities. She was deaf in one ear. She had a crooked nose. She had a cleft palate. And she was so embarrassed by herself that, and how she looked and getting teased that when kids says, what's wrong with your lips? She'd lie and she says, well, I cut it on some glass. Well, every year they did this hearing test in her school. And back in those days, the way they did the hearing test was the teacher would call a student to her desk and then she would whisper a phrase and the child would cover one ear and then, and then, then, then repeat the phrase and cover the other ear and repeat the phrase and that's how they judged their hearing. Well, because she was deaf in one ear and didn't want anyone else to know that, she cheated. She actually cupped her hand over her good ear so she could actually hear the teacher when she whispered something like, the sky is blue or I like your new shoes. But on this day, in this class, her teacher was Miss Leonard. Miss Leonard was a beautiful teacher. Everybody loved Miss Leonard. And she wanted so badly to be accepted by Miss Leonard that when it came her turn to be tested for her hearing, she came to the teacher's desk and she stood there. And then she said this, Miss Leonard said seven words that changed my life forever. Can you believe that? Seven words that could change a child's life. Here's what she said. Marianne covered her good ear while her deaf ear was exposed, and Miss Leonard said, I wish you were my little girl. And this little girl with all these different disabilities felt so encouraged that she went on to pursue a teaching career herself. 
all because a teacher cared enough to take her watering pitcher and pour it liberally on a little girl who was, who was parched in her soul and needed encouragement. I know there are kids in some of our homes that are like that. I know there are some spouses who are parched and need some water. I know there are students in your classrooms. I know there are people in the place you work. I know there are leaders serving in ministries in this church. They need someone to come along and say five words, to say six words, to say three words of encouragement that could make their day, that could change the trajectory of their life forever. God gave you and me as a believer the power of the tongue for good, not evil. And of all people in the whole world, you can turn on the news and get all kinds of negative stuff. And you could hear people bad-mouthing and cursing and use their tongue for violence. But our homes and our churches ought to be a place where, that old song said, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. It ought to be places where people are lifted up and picked up. So let's commit as believers. Let's commit as moms and dads who love the Lord. Let's commit as kids who say we love Jesus to allow him to reign over the tongue and speak words that only build up. All right? Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have been given to speak words that have power, that have power of life. And I pray, Lord, that even as we leave this place, that we'll be encouraged that the power that's been given us, we have a loaded weapon in our mouth, but loaded with good. And I pray, Lord, that when we go home, we would affirm our mates, we would affirm our kids, we would affirm our parents, we would affirm our neighbors, and allow you, Father, to use us in incredible ways to grow people toward you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Be an encourager. And next week, I encourage you to come back again as we pick up the next part in this series. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.